RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. In the time-honored tradition, we gather around the computer, sharing a little quality time with each other. Mission Log Live, I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log Live, you are the star. You call us, you chime in with your questions and comments, and you talk to our guests. Tonight we have our resident Trek expert, Larry Nemechek, joining us. There was some interesting Trek news that came out of WonderCon over the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about whatever else you want to talk about, because we are here for you. You can click on the link in our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can even call us the old-fashioned way. Dial us up at 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. And enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description and in the comments. People are already saying hello. Glad to hear from everybody. Holly, uh, let's see, Brett, Paul Wright says, hi, Ken and John. Josh says, greetings, John and Ken. And, and Heather, Heather says, Ken is sick. Now, she could mean that in many ways. She could mean like, Ken is sick. I'm like, like totally sick. Totally I'm like, sick. I'm, yeah. yeah. No, but it, well. it's that obvious, right? I am that too. Yeah. What's really funny. Uh, so yeah, nobody cares, but I'm going to tell you anyway, cause I'm going to tell you <laughs> 15 minutes before this show started last week, 15 minutes before this show started last week, my voice went and I felt fine up until 15 minutes before the show. And I even felt fine during the show. And then John and I went out for a nice dinner after the show. And uh, I went back to the place I'm staying and didn't leave for six days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's been like that. So I'm actually, thank you very much for noticing, Heather. Although all she said was he's sick. She didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, he's sick. Or anything. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much for noticing, Heather. I'm actually, I'm, I'm on the mend, uh, but I'm now at that part where I feel fine and I'm going to sound terrible for at least another four or five days. Well, Mike Seymour says, uh, hi, guys, I've been under the weather, but can't miss Mission Log. Trek is the best medicine. So, Ken, you and Mike have something in common. Can't miss Mission Log. Neither of us can miss Mission Log. That's true. <laughs> no matter how sick we are. Right. So thank you to everyone who's joining us tonight. If you are catching the show later, you're either watching the video on Facebook or at YouTube on YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. We also put the audio of the show in its very own podcast feed. You can find that on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Speaking of fine podcasts, head on over to podcast.roddenberry.com where you will find links to all of our shows, Mission Log, Women at Warp, Priority One. Oh, a little show called The Trek Files. We might be talking to the host of The Trek Files, one Larry Nemechek, later tonight. And hey, as long as you're here right now, like and share. Let other people know about us because sharing is caring. Now, we will welcome Larry in a few minutes. So if you have questions about WonderCon, about Larry's books, about The Trek Files, or hey, just Star Trek in general... It's a big world. There's a lot of Trek to talk about. Now is the time to call in and be ready. Again, click on that Zoom link or call us at 646-558-8656. Ken, let's talk about our poll tonight. We have a poll about, well, I tell you what, before we get to the poll tonight, let's talk about last week's poll. Okay. Yes. So, uh, so last week we had the good people from, or some of the good people from Cryptic on, uh, talking about uh, their work with Star Trek Online, and then of course just you know, general Star Trek gaming stuff. And we put the question to our listeners and viewers: um, Is gaming part of your Star Trek fandom? Uh, yes, was the answer from forty percent. Most people apparently a bit more passive around the whole thing. Sixty uh, percent said no, gaming is not part of their Star Trek fandom. I kind of wish we could do a follow up question and maybe, yeah. well, I don't know if any if this ends up being true for anybody, do let us know. You can email us, you can call in, whatever you want to do. I'm curious if anything you heard last week made you reconsider it or made you think about it. Do you want to dust off some old tabletop games? Did you think about picking up an RPG? Have you fired up your computer to go STO? That would, of course, be Star Trek Online. That's not the poll question tonight. It's just my own curiosity bubbling out of my face. 
you know, we had so much to talk about last last week. Um, interesting choice of words, kind of bubbling out. Of Thank you. Face. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been a bad week, John. It's been a bad right. week. <laughs> we we had so much to talk about last week. I did get to talk about my love of vintage Star Trek gaming, and in particular, remember that uh, that uh, I think it was Sega that made that stand up, and then again the sit down console uh, uh, arcade game. In 1981, oh. 82, it, it, it was like a vector-based game. Yeah. You sat in the captain's chair. You had a little spinny knob on one arm so you could point your Enterprise. And then you had a couple of buttons for photons. And uh, the thing about that, it had the best sound effects. And you yes. felt immersed in Trekdom. Yeah. Well, it actually had it actually had voices of Star Trek actors. Leonard Nimoy's voice was on that. Uh, right. uh, James Doohan, his voice was on that, uh, playing Scotty, and they they barely said anything, but yeah. it was uh, they were incredible. But yeah, that was that was a weird game because you're right, it had those vector graphics, so not really much in the way of graphics, but especially if you could find the sit down one, it was just so immersive because um, oh. the sound was just right over your head. Man, that was. I actually knew somebody who was trying to buy one of those in like 1988 or 89 and he had found one or 200 bucks. And I just, I, you know, there are lots of reasons I would like a time machine. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I love to go back and (laughs) you're going to go back and change history or no, you're just going to go back in time and, and get that. Well, no, I, I, first I'd go get the video game and I play that for about a month and then I go back and change history. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So I love that. I also loved the uh, the Star Trek Voyager, the Borg one that was more of a, a shooter game. And you, you were just like walking down corridors, shooting Borg, and, and then they would adapt and you had to change the gun. And yeah, it was it was cool. I like that one, too. But that sit down motion picture era, that was rad. That was pretty cool. So we actually do have a poll question for tonight because yes, as much do. as we're talking about gaming, gaming was kind of last week. Uh, yeah. This week's question, and the reason why will become obvious in a bit. Section 31, love it or hate it? Those are your two choices. And, you know, nuances for, well, nuance is not for kings. That's, <laughs> I can't remember what's for kings. But anyway, Section 31, love it or hate it so far. Uh, it's fairly close. Uh, 54% say love it. 46% say hate it. Uh, find the poll where you find the poll. And please vote because your vote counts. I mean, for a thing that's not terribly important. But, you know, still, we're counting. And so your vote counts. All right. So we got a lot to talk about tonight. We are going to go to some of your questions first. We'll have Larry on a little bit later. Um, but before we do that, we have just a little bit of business to discuss. We would like to remind you about our shop at missionlogpodcast.com. It's so easy, so easy. Missionlogpodcast.com. And you click on shop. How easy is that, right? We have Carl Huber, a graphic designer extraordinaire, cranking out a ton of cool stuff for our shop. In fact, uh, what kind of products has Carl created for us, Ken? Well, he's created things for us like the uh, like the sticker I'm holding up in front of my face right now, which is making it difficult for me to read the other stuff that Carl has created for us. Uh, this is a this is a, a sticker for uh, a Farpoint Station Encounter Farpoint. It says which I really like. You can get that on a shirt if you want. You can get that on a journal. You can get that on a like a tapestry kind of thing that you hang up uh, wherever you want to hang your tapestries. There are other things like the Bonk Bonk on the Head since 1966. That's one of our favorites. Nova Squadron is commemorated on the shirts. Uh, Ditalix Mining Corporation, that's actually my ultimate favorite one because it just sort of came out of nowhere. Literally, like I made a joke about a T-shirt, like I'd, I'd totally wear something from Ditalix Mining Corporation. Then like an hour or two after that show landed, uh, Carl sent us the design, which I thought was fantastic. And then you've got some old favorites that go all the way back to the beginning of Mission Log. Uh, things like Cool as Kirk, Ethos, Pathos and Logos, uh, with more stuff showing up in the shop uh, just all the time. 
All right. So those designs and more are at missionlogpodcast.com. Again, click on shop. It's not just T-shirts. There's mugs, there's stickers, notebooks, tapestries, tons of stuff to check out and make your own truly unique Trek-ish gear. Get yours today at missionlogpodcast.com. All right. So I mentioned we're going to have Larry on in a few minutes. Now is the perfect time for you to call in or use that Zoom link to join us. There's a lot to talk about. Before we get to our guest. I pulled a couple of questions that uh, you, our listeners, have been kind enough to send in and uh, figured Ken and I could riff on these for a few minutes because they they cover just all sorts of topics. So the first one is from Brett Dean. I believe Brett is watching tonight. There he is. He's uh, chiming in on Section 31. We will indeed get to that in a moment. I have a lot to say about that. By the way, Heather's recommending uh, replicated puppy tapestries. Who knows? Maybe that'll come. <laughs> but Brett emailed us on Facebook and he said, Hey, John and Ken, are you guys considering an Orville topic for Mission Log Live? Either a one episode, one and done, or possibly a Mission Log episode by episode investigation into the morals and meanings of the episodes. I know the issue. It's not really Star Trek, except that it is, except that it isn't. Yeah, it's chock full of Trek Easter eggs and behind the camera workers like Marvin Rush. Yeah, Marvin Rush, my man. And a lot of Trek vets. It's not a Roddenberry property, but I think it looms large. Thanks for your time, as always. Now, full disclosure, I have not watched The Orville. I just haven't. I I watch hours and hours of Star Trek every week, um, as I know that you do, but it just something that I haven't watched yet. But Ken, you out here in LA went to a special event about the Orville at the Pally Center. Tell us about it. Uh, well, it actually wasn't at the center. It was at the Dolby Theater. So I got oh the, the, the the dual um, fun of seeing the cast and some of the production crew of the Orville, as well as seeing uh, the place where they had held the Oscars, I think just like a week before. Uh, which is weird. It'll blow your mind if you ever get to go there because they hold the Oscars in a mall. I don't want to ruin all the Hollywood magic for you, but they hold the Oscars literally in a mall. Okay. So um, there are things that were said there that I thought were very interesting. Here's, I would like for it to have been a tiny bit more structured. It was on St. Patrick's day. And I think some of the people there had actually maybe enjoyed a cocktail or two before the, uh, before the, um, before the panel began. Uh, that said, uh, Seth MacFarlane obviously has a love for Star Trek. He has a love for next gen. I would say he has a love for, for the people who say discovery isn't real Star Trek. He has a love for what those people would consider to be real Star Trek. There was a comment made on the stage, and I don't think he was doing it to uh, throw shade necessarily at what's being made today, although you could argue he was. When they were going into production on the Orville, what he had basically decided was, or what they had decided was, if nobody else was going to make Star Trek, then they would. Now, of course, when they went into production on the Orville, they wouldn't have necessarily known about Discovery, so he might not have been saying anything bad about what's out there today or you know, what ended up running concurrently. Uh, that said, I am completely with Brett. There is so much Star Trek happening on the Orville. It is it is crazy how much Star Trek there is happening on the Orville. And yet there's so much money in it. And there's so much talent that you don't have the season one stumbles that you get from a lot of Star Trek series. Um, I think they had to hit the ground in a, in, in a bigger way. I think they had to hit the ground running. What's funny is one of the weakest episodes is probably the pilot because they spent too much time concentrating on the jokes and concentrating on setting things up. And then they just started giving you episodes of Star Trek um, with maybe a little bit more humor than you got in the past. Star Trek, the next generation especially, I think failed a lot of times when it tried to do humor because they were a science fiction show trying to be funny it turns out this is somebody who's really funny in Seth MacFarlane and the writers that he's put together who also have an intense love for science fiction, an intense love for Star Trek. So this could almost be that episode until we get John to watch it. In which case, maybe we do a whole episode <laughs> of a Mission Log Live as well. But um, yeah, I'm with you, Brett. I, I think it's a. I went into it with a tiny bit of trepidation and it's not only has it been funny, which I expected it would be, um, but it's been 
the Orville is great track. Um, look, so I, yeah, I, I can't really speak to the Orville because like I said, I, I haven't watched it. I will watch it. I, I absolutely will. Um, I, I've liked a lot of what Seth MacFarlane has done. And more importantly than that, I know that he loves Star Trek. I, I was thrilled to shoot the uh, writer's round table that he did for the next gen Blu-rays and on and off camera, he knows and loves Star Trek so much and particularly that next gen era. And look, here's the thing though. The really important thing to me, it's not a competition. Orville is not in competition with discovery. It's not in competition with Star Trek at large. Um, I want science fiction that tells interesting stories to succeed. And I understand that discovery may not be everybody's cup of tea and the Orville may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I'm anxious to see if there are stories and morals, meanings, messages that I enjoy and get out of both of them. So um, I, I don't think this is an either or proposition in the least. What I understand is that, Seth MacFarlane has gone to great lengths to try to almost in a nostalgic way, create the kinds of stories that he was responding to in that period of 24th century Trek. And that's cool. I'm, I'm anxious to see how he does it. I've always said that to me, Star Trek is a big tent and it includes things like, well, the, the shows that are official Star Trek, whether it's the, the original series or the spinoff series, or now we have discovery or fan films, or parodies, or kind of the quasi-parody dramatic shows that are influenced by Trek. It's a big, big tent, and uh, I, I welcome anybody who is influenced by that. So we'll see. I'm not saying it'll be next week, but I'll watch it, and can I I'd be thrilled to do an Orville show with you uh, sometime in Mission Log Live. Not an episode by episode. Yeah. We're not doing that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Although if you're interested in that, well, we can talk about that later. Um, one of the other shows on the network is doing something, but it's for supporters and whatever. Uh, Priority One mm-hmm. is actually going through and, and doing an episode by episode, not recap exactly, but sort of an examination of the first season. They're in the middle of that right now, but you can listen to their show to find out more about that. And we'll tell you more about them later. Um, I want to remind people how they can get in touch with us except I can't remember. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you can click on the Zoom link that's above or below this, and you can also give us a call, 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. We did have another comment, John. Uh, this also from a John. Uh, hey. John M. writes in, because I don't give out last names. I give out mine and give out yours, because you do that. Like about the executive producers of this show, but otherwise, you know, John may not have known. Sure. You know, listening to you two review DS9 is turning out to be a way for me to vicariously watch the series as if for the first time again. I'm getting warm, fuzzy feelings that I imagine are similar to the very first time I ever watched any of the episodes, and it's wonderful. I'm certain the both of you will be fully considering yourselves among the ranks of the fellow Niners very soon. Thank you so much for what you do. That's very yeah. kind, John. Thanks. That is very kind. That is very kind. Um, I, I don't really have much to respond to that other than to say that, well, part of the reason that I planted that question in here was to be able to talk a little bit about Mission Log and where we are in Mission Log, because we treat these shows a little bit separately, Mission Log Live and Mission Log. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying DS9 because it is new. Um, a lot of people, for some reason, have this weird feeling like John and Ken hate Deep Space Nine and they're going in, they're going into it with, uh, you know, they're just dragging their feet to get to the. Well, no, we, we enjoyed everything we did before and uh, we, we, we wanted to spend a little time to reflect just as we did coming out of TOS. So we wanted to spend a little time reflecting as we came out of uh, out of next gen. So. It's really cool to me to be able to watch something new and with fresh eyes. And and look, I I say new, but I've already seen many. Well, I won't say many. I had seen some DS9 episodes. I definitely know the cast and the characters and the premise. So it's not completely out of nowhere for me. 
Um, but going through methodically, going through episode by episode and studying it the way that we do, it's a very different thing from just popping on the couch and turning something on and maybe getting distracted. What we do for Mission Log is very, very different, where we're watching an episode three, four times or more. I like to watch with subtitles on so I don't miss anything. And then really planning out the notes that we're going to uh, discuss. So it's super cool. And I know just judging by the mail that we get, Niners are very passionate and they want to (laughs) jump ahead and they want to explain everything to us. Um, And they seem to be really thrilled that we're getting a certain level of enjoyment out of this new show, new for us. Yeah. It's only been three weeks. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, give, it's, give it's it you know, so nuts, right? Give it six. Is that what you said? And then we'll be like, yeah, yeah we'll decide. Yeah, it's, hey, we're switching to an Orville podcast. Are we going to do moonlighting early? See, that's the kind of thing that's going to get <laughs> a bunch of horrible emails that John's going to have to read. I shouldn't say things no. like that. <laughs> <sighs> I sort of feel terrible, but that could just be the illness. Hey, we do have a guest that we want to bring on. Would you like to? Uh, would you like to bring on our guest, John, or would you like me to do that? Well, I'll do it. He's uh, he's standing by patiently. Larry Nemechek, he's the author of the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion, uh, also Stellar Cartography. He is the head honcho, uh, head honcho over at Portal 47, and he is the host of the Trek Files right here on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Please welcome him once again, our old friend, Larry Nemechek. How you doing tonight, Larry? I'm good. I'm good. Am I? We just, we just, we just walk in the door. So I hope I sound good and look good here. Yeah, I as good like as possible. Like a million bucks. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me back. Yeah. No problem. It's a busy right, week. So, yes. Well, tell us about your busy week, indeed. Oh, well, I, it was a busy week, partly because uh, the, a lot of people have seen online a lot of the news coming out of WonderCon. Uh, some some crumbs. It was kind of a kind of I was trying to think if there'd ever been a time when CBS, much less Paramount in the old days. And of course, the old days all predated the Comic-Con phenomenon. So the older cast never got a chance to do this or creators. But uh, for CBS to have, you know, WonderCon is not the biggest Comic-Con out there. It's still large. But for them to fly creatives in and have a focus on the creative design staff for Discovery was, I think, historic. I think that was a first ever. Uh, and that many that many bodies, so it made a big splash. And they had Aaron and Gretchen there, the showrunners, to make a splash with some writing headlines too. So uh, that's yeah. And I had a pattern. I was trying to have a uh, a panel for uh, disco focused fans, especially fans who have only come to fandom. It's become my fetish hobby this year <laughs> to find the people who have come to fandom through disco, and now they're at Discovery, and now they're looking around, going, "Oh, there's older shows. Yeah, I'll I'll look at those eventually." Well, wait, I, I, have you yeah. found those people? So I remember several years ago, 2009, at Star Trek Las Vegas, you uh, you had a panel and you asked the audience, just a, a quick informal show of hands, who was there for their first convention and who came to Star Trek because of the J.J. Abrams movies. And it, it was shocking to me that there are so many people at their first convention and so many people whose first Trek was 2009 star trek by jj abrams so have you found people who are are new to the fold because of discovery i'm i'm finding them and i'm hearing about the (laughs) word of mouth kind of like the sasquatch out there no i mean because one thing i try to one thing everything in trekland that we do as you know that i do with all my programs and and podcasts and things is try to look beyond where everybody else is you know what's what is the screaming meme of the moment and and maybe take a broader look. And and part of this whole discussion vein about discovery for most people and a lot of people watching us now is all from the standpoint of people who are at least Enterprise, if not Voyager DS9, Next Generation, Original Series. In other words, it's people who all come with the experience of being a Star Trek fan and have the experience of the franchise. And in a negative way, you could almost say it's the baggage of being <laughs> a Trek fan. And I was just really curious about, about those fans who are, who are finding discovery first and then going, Oh yeah, Star Trek. Or, or they're not dumb. They live in America or they live in this global age. They know Star Trek is out there. They know there's a guy with pointed ears and a bald French guy and 
and, a, and an android. <laughs> they know that, and they know it's a space show. And it, maybe it wasn't their thing, but maybe Discovery has brought them over the Gulf to Trek to Trek World. Uh, and I keep trying. I've been trying to find them, and then it dawned on me that maybe the channels that we all swim in. That's not where they're hanging out, you know, so maybe you have to go find them where they live. Boy, I'm torturing a lot of metaphors. So this panel at WonderCon was the first chance at that. I actually had four people that said that they they were in a Trek in a Star Trek panel room because of Discovery. And they were they had some interesting thoughts. But uh, I was just conversing today with someone who was at that panel online who was talking about bringing some of her friends in to watch Discovery. And I I think I'm just going to launch a Facebook page. I, I really this is I'm not trying to get obsessed with this, but I really think we need to cast off our us, us veterans need to cast off our shackles and our blinders and think outside the box. And and, yeah, go find them where they are. And um, anyway, that's one of my missions for the year is to talk to discovery people, because obviously the show's a hit. CBS All Access is thrilled with it. Um, it's been renewed. I'm, I'm anxious to see what I'm, I'm excited to see what the second season brings. And uh, and I, back to WonderCon, after talking to a lot of the creatives in the press room at WonderCon, I'm excited to see what they're uh, I'm excited to see what all of them, the entire staff is able to do without being under the gun <laughs> that the launching of the first season was for them, because it must have been pure creative hell in a good way. You know what I mean? It's honestly very surprising to hear. I mean, especially when you talk about people here in the States to hear that there are people who are coming to discovery uh, cold as far as Star Trek is concerned, because it's behind a paywall. And I know that was a fight that a lot of people had for a long time. I, there's no point in fighting about it, but I honestly figured that that would, if you'll pardon the use of the term, kill discoverability for discovery, because yeah. you have to know you want to pay 10 bucks a month before you even know whether the thing is worth it. I mean, barring that, one episode that they showed on that Sunday night on regular CBS before they said, no, no, go pay to watch the rest. Well, here's an interesting dynamic that I keep running up against a question. Uh, I think, I think to answer that question, I'm almost, it's, it's a dichotomy. What's, what am I trying to get to here? It's almost the irony that if you are, if you have been on this earth long enough to have a job, to have a career, to have a lifestyle that allows you six or 10 extra bucks a month, to do this, you may be such a dyed-in-the-wool fan that you come in with that, for good or bad intention, baggage that I was talking about. And if you are a you know, younger generation person who has grown up with everything digital and you don't think anything of dro- you know, you don't think anything about dropping six or ten bucks for that, are you still capable of doing that? You know, are you still are you financially able to do that now? It doesn't it's not a it's not a it's not a big deal. I, I'm just running into I don't want to make this a generational divide but i keep wondering how much of the things that you that we all talk about as a concern again back to where they live is that a is paying 10 bucks a month to watch a show that you've marginally heard about and you think might be or you've got a couple of friends that are watching it and so you go ahead and do that and you're not you don't you don't have to use their code to watch all access or whatever it is you know what i'm saying i wonder no, I do, where that line lies yeah and if and it's like the more inclined you are to to throw in and go tr- try it out are you less inclined to be financially able to do that even though we're still talking about relatively small amounts of money i don't know it's, it's but that's again that's a question i'm trying to i want to explore this year but it's also a question of i mean not to get uh, too far into the weeds which i, I feel like we may already oh, have too late um yeah um it's also a question of how much other stuff there is to offer right like if you've heard about game right. of thrones you might go ahead and throw down 12 or 13 dollars for hbo because you also know that hbo has a ton of other stuff i mean just by virtue of the fact that they're hbo right. uh same thing goes for netflix same thing honestly goes for hulu whereas cbs all access is a bit less of a Known quantity. I mean, they do right. have uh, that very well-reviewed uh, sort of spinoff of The Good Wife that I think is entering its second season now. Uh, they've got back catalogs of all the Star Trek stuff. Right. But again, if you're new to Star Trek, you don't necessarily care about all the back catalogs of the Star Trek stuff. Um, I, I get your point. Yeah. Point. Ten thousand a lot of money, but then you know, when you can throw ten dollars at, you know, every network but CBS with Hulu, or you can throw ten dollars at seven billion dollars in content created this year by Netflix, um yeah, I mean nickels and dimes add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't know. I, you know, and, and again, the young lady I was I was texting with or messaging with today who was at my panel and we just took off on this thread. And I just thought, well, gee, if you're it may be a different dynamic for people who are who are being hosted in and they're not having to actually spend the money themselves. And if it's a, you know, like we had our L.A. meetups here, as John well knows. And we had some folks in then who uh, who were coming by to probably to come by and watch it free. They were enjoying the social aspect, but maybe, you know, seeing it free, too, they wouldn't have access otherwise. So uh, I don't know. The financial aspect of it is does enter in. But I guess I was more on the pure the purity of the show and the content and the production itself as, as someone with fresh eyes versus. Yeah, versus and, but, but CBS is scrambling really quickly to fill up the rest of that gamut. So it's not just Star Trek or nothing for those sure. folks. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's true. I think I heard recently they're talking about 10 to 12 new series in the next year, which I mean, I mean, you're hearing announcements all the time yeah. from Apple. I think they have something like eight to 10 new series that they're planning to launch between now and next year. We don't know exactly when, but CBS knows how to produce TV. Um, right. So if they do have 10 to 12 new series worth watching in the next year, I mean, it could be an amazing, uh, yeah. it could be an amazing turnaround led of course by uh, the starship discovery, I suppose. Well, there's not, I mean, they're not all genre shows. There's a twilight zone, you know, uh, uh, Jason Peel or Jordan Peel, um, Jordan Peel, yeah. Jordan Peel, uh, show and they're talking about other ones so we'll see they're not some of them are you know relevant dramas or whatever but uh they they see the need and they know they've got to they had to launch it's like everybody else they have to launch and now they've got to hurry up and catch up with the next wave and it looks like yeah they're looking and it is cbs they do know something about making content hey so, larry before we yeah. uh we, we have to go to a break here in a second before we oh, do yeah. uh brett asked a really interesting question do you think the cbs paramount remarriage if there is to be one might mean some movie and tv show crossover or has that ship sailed forever well never say never uh-huh. <laughs> i i you know for one thing people the people now get old and tired and move on and contracts expire and in five years the landscape may look totally different so just having them linked corporately is, you know, it, and it has gone further than it's ever gone before. So, well, hey, I, I want to talk. I, I want to talk content uh, when we come back because I, I section thirty one. That's why we put it as our poll question. I want to talk about <laughs> what people are talking about to expect for season two. But before yeah. you do that, we have a, a little bit of business. Uh, Ken, you lead us in. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach for my teeny tiny spaceships. Oh, I so meant to grab one of those this week because it's just right over there, right Right. over there. John Uh Champion is playing with one of the amazing starships from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Yeah, the first season of Discovery is over. And I think we might have gotten an announcement about when the next season begins or roughly when it begins anyway. But here's the thing. You could be spending every minute of every day with the Starship Discovery. <laughs> Eagle Moss wants you to get one of your very own, as well as a slew of ships from the latest Star Trek series, a part of the Eagle Moss Discovery Starships collection. Yeah, and I've got mine right here. On the Federation side, you've got ships like the Shenzhou and the Discovery. That's that guy right there. The Corella, the Jaeger, and the Europa. Then flying in from Klingon space, you've got ships like the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey and the Koch. Ken, you should have had that line tonight. The Koch class destroyer. (laughs) Yeah, problem is if I start making that noise, there's a chance I won't stop. Uh, What you'll see when you visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships are renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves. Painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. These are officially authorized by CBS Studios. They're between 8 and 10 inches from bow to stern, depending on the ship. They're hand-painted. They're rich in detail. Each comes with the awesome magazine full of real-world and in-universe information, and each comes with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships. Hey, not unlike the display stand that I have my Shenzhou on right now. Subscribers will get their first ship, this guy, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, will then ship monthly for the special subscriber price of only $44.95 each. That's 20% off the standard retail price, also with free shipping. 
Now, people who want to pick and choose their ships can do that. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com or check your local comic shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over $100 during their subscription. And of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. To buy individually, shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eaglemoss for sponsoring this week's show. Our guest this week is Larry Nemechek. He knows a thing or two about Star Trek, and he would love to answer your questions if you have questions. So you can click on the Zoom link above, below, beside, and around this video. You can also give us a call, and that number is 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. Enter the meeting code that you'll find on the show. And of course, if you're watching on your smartphone, isn't it cool living in the future? You can also hit the, uh, the one tap button on your smartphone and that should get you straight through to us. All right. So Larry, let's talk yeah. a little bit about the news. I want to talk about the content of the panels and, and what right. news we gleaned about the upcoming season two of discovery. Also other, other Trek stuff, but uh, it sounds like we're, we're, sticking with the story arc rather than anthology again. Is that correct? Is that your impression of what we're getting? Yes. Okay. I, yes. Um, because for one thing, uh, uh, Aaron talked about uh, having a theme this year of spirituality versus not so much uh, or, or spirituality, not so much organized religion, but spirituality versus versus uh, the normal pattern of living and uh and across two or three levels so that was very vague i mean they were very vague but the times they were we had the news of a 13 order i don't, I don't want to duplicate what you guys have already said but there were some basics out there i had a fun time in the press room uh and again i was talking to some of the designers that were on the big panel there uh one thing gersha phillips who was nominated one of the early awards nominated for her costumes for her being wardrobe. I, I got to ask her a specific question that I don't think had been out there. And I think you guys probably noticed it, you know, in the, in the finale in episode 15, when they were back on earth uh, in the awards, in the uh, medal room, <laughs> in the awards room ceremony, you saw a lot of uh, uniforms that were not the standard dark blue collars. Right. And there was a lot of speculation by fans uh, what that was and were we seeing the lead in to the blues of maybe the enterprise or something changing in, in uh, season two, I saw some people say maybe those were an early version that were, as we have seen over the years, those were early drafts of uniforms and they thought, here's a way we can trot them out and get some screen time out of them, out of the money. Hmm. And anyway, I asked her about that. And she said the color that, that more pastel blue. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. Uh, the more pastel blue was a test color was one of the blues they had thought about, but they, they did consider doing something with red, blue, gold, or, right. you know, whatever, teal, mustard, maroon, whatever. Uh, <laughs> they all, they did, did decide to go with the blue and then wound up going with the metallic and all that, but they went through a whole host of iterations, but that blue was one of, was their favorite test blue runner up to the blue they wound up with. And when they got to episode 15, no, they did not have 15 or 20 of those laying around as completed costumes, completed uniforms. But when they got to the end, uh, Akiva Goldsman directed the episode and is one of the producers. And he was asking, since they were supposed to be at Paris and be on Earth and get mm. that feeling across that they weren't floating around in space somewhere, that he was hoping for some kind of alternate Earth-based space uniform. So they started calling that Paris Blue. And the uh, uniforms that we see were made specifically for the episode to denote some kind of, you know, Starfleet Command Federation HQ feeling, even though that was totally subject, you know, subtext and it wasn't pointed out in the episode. But, you know, fans were speculating what that might be. Now, as far as looking ahead, she quoted Aaron very safely <laughs> from his kind of vague uh, statement, I think, in the main panel about uh, we might however he had it worded, we might be seeing those. We're very much aware of what they wore on the enterprise in this time period. And, and who knows what will happen or we, we're perfectly capable of getting there or something. 
yeah, she didn't. She backed off saying whether those might be a harbinger. If if Starfleet is bringing them in for ground base before sending them out to to the starships. So anyway, that was a that was a little uh, insight. I haven't seen anybody else popping up with that, but uh, there's one for everybody. Those were built for the episode, and who knows where that blue will wind up. All right. So so go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. At Tim. one. Okay, so at WonderCon, uh, people got to see a bonus scene that was cut from Discovery Season 1 finale. Oh, I had a member of, of Section 31, yes, which is the whole reason. <laughs> Look, we got 20 minutes left in the show and haven't Here told people go. why we asked that poll question yet. Yeah. Oh, um, oh. So this was a bonus scene that was cut from Discovery Season 1 finale. It had a member of Section 31 trying to recruit Mirror Universe Short Show. Now, uh, for people who don't know, and I know there are at least a couple watching, for people who don't know or don't remember, uh, can you quickly tell us what Section 31 is? Section 31 was basically a black ops. In, in show production time, this didn't exist until DS9. DS9's devious dark writers, the darker, grittier track, came up with Section 31, especially using it with Bashir, who was late in the series, found out to have been, uh, had his DNA altered and augmented to be really a brain that he'd been hiding for years. So Section 31 was interested in that. And we found out that this was not Starfleet intelligence. It was nothing on the book. This was totally off the books, off the grid. Only a small cadre knew. And uh, then Enterprise, Voyager couldn't touch it because they were in the Delta. Enterprise picked up on it. So we, now we know that Section 31 predates the Federation and was around for Earth Starfleet. And then there's been several novels and books, but basically 31 is the hush hush off the books. You know, we, we did impossible missions force with a, with a black slant to it, with a dark, 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 sinister slant. And um, that black badge, the pilot of, or the third episode of discovery, people were speculating, Ooh, section 31. And then, then when we saw Lorca from the mirror, all of that kind of died away, I think, but now boy, it's back. It's back in the forefront in your face. Yeah, there were definitely a lot of people who still wanted to know about that. I know the guys over at Trek Geeks were like, yeah, where'd that go? <laughs> when they were doing their, their season yeah, finale yeah. or season recap, they were like, yeah, that was going to be really exciting. And then it wasn't. And now I'm curious. All right. So the poll question well, you, that we asked. Well, QMX. I, I, QMX has a commercial oh, badge. Yes. That they were no, giving away yeah, to everybody in the line at the panel. Uh, I saw it. And here's the problem. I love that badge. I don't think I could wear a section 31 badge, but I got to ask you, cause this is the poll question. And while I don't want to skew the poll question, I, I do want to ask you the poll question, uh, section 31, love it or hate it. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to say love it or at least middle it because okay. as, as idealistic as Gene was, I may just be too pragmatic to think that 31 doesn't exist in some way. All right. Well, right, right now the poll is at love it 61% hate it 39%. Mm. Um, Gentlemen, if you don't mind, I'm I'm just going to drag up the soapbox uh, because look, it's only three of us. And uh, frankly, Larry, when you're not here, I'm half the show. So here's Section 31. I'm, uh, I, the more I think about this and more I mold this over, I'm not a fan of this. And, and here's why. Um, when you introduce the idea of Section 31, and, and I, I know I, I've seen the episodes with uh, Bashir when they did introduce it on DS9. I did watch Enterprise, so I know how they kind of worked it into the, uh, the, the prequels of Trek. And, uh, on the surface, I'm totally okay with a, a group of spies who work within the Federation. To me, that means like, okay, you have MI6. Uh, in the U.S., we've got the CIA. Um, if you want to go fantasy route, you've got Uncle. All right? And, and I love spy shows, and I love spy stories, and I'm cool with that. Where I part ways with this is two things. It, it's one, as you just said, the sinister slant. I think it's okay if we throw in a bad guy from time to time in Star Trek Into Darkness. You have a guy like Admiral Marcus, who is clearly not looking out in the best interests of the Federation. And if you want to tie that into a Section 31 thing, fine, whatever. But that's sort of a one-off to me. The idea that Section 31 is this persistent 
negative force within the Federation for the better part of 200 years drives me a little nuts. The other thing from a storytelling point of view that drives me insane is that Section 31 becomes this go-to anytime mm. you want to do something that has a negative connotation within within Starfleet, within the, the Federation. So um, I, I kind of feel the way about this that I did with uh, the Mirror Universe, which is I don't mind the Mirror Universe being a thing. I don't mind that we went there. I don't mind that we pop in from time to time. But when it becomes a persistent story thread that defines the overall shape of the arc of a, of a season or many episodes, I, I start to go, okay, well, well th this is a plot device that has overstayed its welcome. So I, here's my hope is that we saw this scene. We know that section 31 exists. We know that Giorgio exists um, in the prime universe. Now I'm okay with sort of leaving that alone. Well, we established it. They're there. It's a thing. But let's go off and tell the other stories now. Um, I don't want it to become where season one was the mirror story because we have a mirror captain in the majority of these episodes. So I don't want season two to become the section 31 season. Because frankly, every time section 31 shows up right now, it's for something nefarious uh, and maybe maybe at best unethical. Um, and there doesn't really seem to be any way to fight back against that because everybody who's sort of on the good side, who's not in section 31 at the end of the episode, just sort of has to wash their hands and say, oh, well, that was section 31. That's not us. But they're still out there. <laughs> kind of yeah. like the ultimate reset, sideways reset button in a way. Yeah, ethics exactly. The ethics exactly. reset button. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. what you're saying is you're not so much opposed to the idea as the way it's handled, the way it's employed or deployed. Yeah, I, because, it, again, it, it spies, yeah. uh, spy stories, uh, great. And uh, fictional spies, you know, I love my James Bond. I think that's fine. But we also know that Bond, or go back, Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin, they're working with the best interest of the people that they're protecting in mind. And Section 31, yeah, of course, they're going to make the argument. They have to do the dirty work. But they're doing that dirty work in really unethical, really unappealing ways. And like I said, there doesn't seem to be any check and balance for that, at least in the Star Trek that we've seen so far. Well, my headcanon is that Section 31 is not is not some big bureaucracy. I'll, I'll, you know, if they're going to be if they're going to be black ops, if they're going to be the the, uh, the hidden agenda there, you know, I, I see six, eight, 10, 12, 15, maybe one admiral in charge, maybe one admiral who's responsible and then just a very small cadre of people. And and no, I wouldn't want that. And I wouldn't want it structurally to take over the show. I, I agree totally that. If anything, Discovery has to prove to the fans, and I think Discovery has to prove to itself, meaning the writers, <laughs> that uh, we can do a normal, a normal season, you know, without resorting to mere, you know, four or five shows in the mere universe and, and whatever. I think, I think everyone across the board on both sides of the aisle are aching to do a more, I don't want to say more typical because it's streaming and it's 15, it's going to be serialized. So you can't be completely typical as in past treks. But I think there's a there's an urge to get back to boldly going, and um, yeah. and you don't want to see you don't want to sideline that with Section Thirty One. Well, Penny, uh, who chimes in very often, just made a point that is very much in line with my thoughts here. Section Thirty One is like Blackwater, not the CIA, and that's horrifying. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> precisely. That, Blackwater was pretty terrifying. I don't know if Section Thirty One are independent contractors. Here's, but the only thing that's laughable about the black badge is if you're really as secretive and covert. Don't and wear in a the shadows. Yo, why are you wearing a badge? <laughs> Pay right. no attention to this. Just keep that camera moving. Let right. your let your legit security officer say eyes forward. Like, yeah. why is he wearing a badge? Yeah, I. I but yes. here's the thing. Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating what is to come in Discovery, because in season two, if they can justify Section Thirty One and show us that there is a 
not just a reason for them to be there, but but there are people within Section 31 who actually are behaving ethically, um, then, OK, maybe I can give it a chance. I just don't want it to turn into that show, that, that that's what it's about. You know, a little oh, right. visit Definitely. here and there. OK, but if that visit is only with people who are uh, who are less than admirable, then I can sort of be done with that. And here's something, too. We, it was great that they pulled that scene out. It was wonderful that they had a scene. No one was expecting until the, maybe the last minute to see uh, some film at that WonderCon panel. And it was shot for the finale and then cut for time or whatever, although they, they don't have a strict time limit. So somebody decided they say that and whether that was the upfront reason or whether it was a happy, you know, happy accident later on. But they said, let's save this for WonderCon. But you have to. I want to think that that was written. I mean, a lot of people noticed that, you know, as as aired originally, uh, Georgiou, Mirror Georgiou just wanders off behind the curtains. Like what? They're just letting her go? They're just un- unleashing that in the universe? And if this was initially meant to be the scene that kind of buttoned her down and as they're wont to do, just left that as one of the many crumbs that, you know, we might get back to this. But for right now, we're just getting our season ended when you remove it from that context of here's just a final shot until we see her again for who knows how long. And now if it's, if it's being trotted out as, Oh, here's a piece that might launch a new thread for the new season. It's a totally different vibe. And I, I want to be hopeful that it's not going to hijack the season because I'm trying to go back and remember how it was originally intended. It was meant to button her up, not open the door to a whole new segue. Although I think they, they couched it with the, they introduced the actor who was there, uh, that played her contact. They introduced it like he might be back, but let's just, again, let's just hope that that doesn't take over. They, they definitely need to do some boldly going. I think, I think for the writer's sanity, as well as the audience. I, I want to read a couple of comments. Uh, Aaron Harvey says, I feel like we were all very patient about letting them show dark, lead us into light. But my patience would be really tested if it's all Section 31 and we don't We were all very patient about explore. letting them show dark, um, lead us Chris into Riker light. says, badges, Section 31 don't need no stinking <laughs> no badges. badges. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, there's something. <clears throat> well, let me do two things really quickly. First of all, we've got Larry with us for about another eight minutes and then we're going to this buddy and then we would love it if you go and check out our friends over at priority one they do a live show after we're done with our live show uh talking about all kinds of stuff in star trek you know be it uh, the latest in gaming be it the latest in uh, uh, tv or movie news things like that it wouldn't surprise me at all they will be talking about wonder tonight as well i feel so when we're done here facebook.com slash priority one podcast i believe it is facebook.com slash priority one podcast I hope I have that right. I don't have it right in front of me, but you can just search Facebook for Priority One Podcast and that'll take you right there. And they'll be live and you'll have a whole bunch more great uh, Star Trek talk to talk about. Um, What's interesting to me about what you were saying a minute ago, Larry, and I wonder if this is part of the thing too, because yes, uh, Section 31 is going to be dark. We were told last year, well, we're going through this dark time, but it's going to lead us to a better place. And if it ends up in darkness again, as Aaron was saying, that's a drag. On Trek Files, you're dealing with a lot of uh, Star Trek's past, but from outside of Star Trek, I guess what I'm wondering is, how do you feel about the fact that all of our new Star Trek is old Star Trek? That we may now, okay, so we went 10 years before the Enterprise or 10 years before Kirk and Spock for Discovery, right? And now we might dig into this other thing that's 200 years old in Star Trek with, um, with, um, with Section 31. One of the cool things that happened in, in Star Trek beyond was the fact that they finally stopped telling old Star Trek stories and just told a great Star Trek story. It seems to me, I know some people don't like the new JJ Abrams movies and that's fine. I feel like that was a really strong one because they finally quit saying, Hey, look, we're really Star Trek. Hey, look, we're really Star Trek. And then they just told an excellent story. I thought, how do you feel about the fact that we keep reaching back in the bag for names we know to show people, hey, look, we're Star Trek. See, here's the Star Trek thing. Well, it sounds like you're talking about a difference between like premise and format era versus specific call outs and shout outs. Because I'm all for exploring the universe. I mean, I want to see a mid Archer Kirk show that's more middling. I want to see a mid Kirk Picard show. I want, you know, there are a lot of pieces that are just hinted at that I would like to see. And again, not to be all about that, uh, that era or that event, as long as you have a great cast of characters 
and you, you've got whatever. It, it's just another. It's just another uh, excuse. It's a channel to explore the Trek universe in a particular era. And I've always been one to say that I don't think that knowing the canon that lies ahead in a prequel is a, is a rock around your neck. I, I think it's there to play with. And I think if you just concentrate and do your characters and your situations here, have someone that knows what they're doing, advising or consulting, then you're fine. I think, I think sometimes they get too worried about that. But if you're talking about shout outs and things, uh, maybe, maybe the group that inherited Discovery felt felt the need maybe I, I i wasn't bothered by it i wasn't bothered by it. as long as they're handled well now if something is a call out and a shout out and it's totally mangled then i'm a little disappointed and i've and i've been a little fearful at times this first year but i i see that as maybe a problem situation that's going away i don't know am i am i getting to what you're saying or what you're well, i i think so i mean See, the problem is now it sounds like I asked the question just so I could complain, and that was not my intention. Um, well, it's fresh to I me, mean, Ken. I, I think John what, has to listen well, to you all the time, but it's fresh to me. Well, no, but I, I mean, the thing that bothers me is so, I mean, like if you do the Section 31 thing, then you're obviously going to be playing with very big Star Trek things, right? What you're talking about, if you do a, a series that's somewhere between Kirk and Picard, those aren't necessarily pivotal moments in history. So they can go off and they can do their things and we can explore whole new things we've never seen before, even though they're 40 years in Picard's past or Picard is still 40 years in our future at that point. There's a big difference there between that and okay, so we're doing a new Star Wars or Star Trek series. Whoops. We're doing a new Star Trek series. Right, so let's right. do the Klingon war. Right. I mean, we're, we're going back and we're hitting all these touch points. Hey, we're doing it. We're doing a second Star Trek movie. Let's do Khan again. Right. I mean, there's been this it's almost like it's almost like the the people who are making Star Trek feel like they have to justify that they actually are Star Trek. And so they take the biggest Star Trek names they can find the Klingon war uh, con things like that. And then and then say, see, this proves it. Whereas yeah. I thought, I mean, again, we and we had a bunch of negative comments the second I mentioned Star Trek Beyond in the Facebook feed. But I mean, I, Star Trek Beyond was the most Star Trek of the three movies right. so far to me, right. just because yeah. it didn't say, hey, look, we're Star Trek. It just said, hey, look, a story that I thought was. Yeah. Pretty, I just uh, felt it was the most Star Trek because the character moments that we had. Mm. So, yeah, that too. Um, that too. one thing I see a lot of people doing and I don't. And I don't do it out of spite. I just do it because I think that's what they are, is I don't lump the Kelvin movies in with with Discovery as far as trends and things. I mean, I, you have to say, oh, well, cinema, cinema, cinematographically, <laughs> uh, visual effects wise, they're, it's the 2018s, it's the teens, and they're, they're echoing a little bit there. But I don't what, – what they're doing is what, what they launched into doing in 06 and 07 and on screen for everybody in 09 and then the follow-up movies and, and whether they go with the original script for four or Tarantino gets his bit or whatever. Like it or not, I see that as off on its own. And if there are happy throwbacks and callbacks like in Beyond with the way they actually managed to work out the Franklin and how it narrowly fit into a niche of, of canon timeline, that was great. Uh, I was scared for about five minutes and then we started doing the math and thinking about things and went, okay, but um, I, I don't lump them automatically in, but yes, this, this whole thing with discovery started with Brian saying, which I still have not heard exactly what he meant. I haven't had the chance to nail him down. Brian said that famous line. I remember something about original series and the timeline and I never saw it explained. And I want to go to that. So, I don't know if he simply met the Klingon first contact leading to a war or if there was something more obscure there. But for like it or not, that's where the thing went to. Everybody decided to honor his original vision. I'm going to bet that other people would have liked to have gone to different other angles, but that's where they are. And if we're back to fleshing out CBS All Access, as long as this doesn't tank, maybe one of these producers, maybe this team, maybe a completely different team, but maybe with the the hammer and nails, piece, same you know production people, but different writers, maybe they will start spinning off, you know, another Star Trek show. Maybe Brian's original anthology, different eras format. Maybe something totally different. Somebody else's new pitch, but but maybe that will alleviate some of this, and we'll get to go you know beyond Nemesis, or we will go into one of these mid-century, you know. I mean, I think an April show would have been fun. That would have been 
30 years before or 20 years before Kirk and, yeah. and explore I, I, some we, things. I think we all get to, a little too caught up in, in the time frame and, and that defining whether the show is good or bad. I, I don't think it's about that. I, I really don't. Um, I, I just want to see a, a great show. Uh, Larry, can't thank you enough. Uh, really glad to have you on tonight to uh, lend your perspective and, uh, and weigh in on the latest Trek news. Thank you, John. I just I just want to do a shout out for Trek Files. Though. We have an excellent show this week for everybody that hasn't gone over. We have Dorothy Fontana back. Yes. Please talking. go to uh, podcast.roddenberry.com to pick up the latest episode of Trek Files. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by Infinity Networks, produced by Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. We'd again like to thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starship Collection for sponsoring this week's show, eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starship. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network